spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Cajun Nation, I've got three things I need you to do. I need you to find a place to park your ass. I need you to get a 12-pack of alcohol. And I need you to enjoy the next, I don't know, two and a half, three hours of glorious Rage and Review content as it is time for the Rage and Review year in review. I can't think of a better name for it. Uh, I don't know. Anyways. Matt Miguez here, Jerry Bear, Josh Jacno joining me. Gentlemen, good evening. And uh are, are you guys are you guys ready for a long night? Let's roll, man. Happy summer. Summer's here, the dead season. It's, it's Salutations. Season, all right. Salutations. I'm very excited to do this season in wrap up. So many things to say. God, I mean I, I don't want to brag on myself, but I come in with the hype and the you know, the the fire and then Jerry's you know, kind of the middleman, and then, and then Josh. <laughs> salutations. Look, I'm trying to use terms from all over the country. Look, if people are going to listen, salut. I, I, well, not not all over the country, all over the world. If people are going to listen, might as well learn something, right? Oh my god. Anyways, so like I said off the top, it's the year interview. We're going to sit down tonight, and we're going to talk about the biggest moments of the athletic season, starting all the way back last August into you know, the end of May from, from football all the way to baseball and softball. Plenty to talk about. It was a very successful year on uh, on Reinhardt Drive. But, you know, we'll, 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 go in, we'll go in calendar order. Let's start with football. Uh, you know, year number three for, for Billy Napier, 9-1 and one in the COVID-shortened season. And in the process, you, you did two things that are, that are really just monumental in my opinion. Number one, you, you picked up the biggest win in program history by going on the road and, and beating a ranked team in, in Iowa State. And not, and not just beating beating them handedly. Uh, only giving up 14 points, scoring 31 of your own. Uh, two special teams touchdowns. And then the other thing that you did is, and, and I, I, I said this you know, last football season, you got the proverbial monkey off your back. You finally found a way to beat App State. Obviously, you know, it's no secret that App State was on a down year. In, in 2020, but regardless, you, you got that confidence boost in that rivalry to to find a way to, to get that done, and I think that sets you up for the opportunity to kind of even even the record between between the Mountaineers and the Cajuns. You know, this year, I, I think App State's going to be a better team than they, than they were in 2020. I think they're going to be, in my opinion, they're going to be the best team in the East. But you know we'll we'll dive into that later, gentlemen. First of all, what were what were your thoughts on on twenty twenty, and you know we'll we'll talk about the future in twenty twenty one. Are we are we talking the whole year or just football? Football for for this particular question. Well, I, I got a few a few point a pointers that I wanted to make on football. First of all, um, you know we had high expectations going in after the twenty nineteen season. You know, first season in twenty nineteen, double digit wins. Uh, we've never seen that before. 
runner-up once again for the conference. And, uh, you know, uh, Billy and Billy Napier and his staff were able to win our first out-of-state uh, bowl game since, I believe, 1943 or 1944 um, when we won that bowl game down in Mobile. So, you know, the, the, the expectations were already high. And I had said last year, I don't know if we can archive this, but I had said last year going into the 2020 season that we had a shot to be ranked in the top 25. Little did I know we would get a last-minute game against Iowa State, go to their house, and beat them pretty handily on national TV. Uh, You know, within that week, everybody wants to make the excuse, oh, well, there were only a select amount of teams playing because a lot of conferences hadn't started their seasons yet because it was conference only, but we were still nationally ranked. And then even in spite of that, you know, a lot of times people were saying the more teams that started their seasons, the lower the rankings we would fall. We still finished the year at number 15 in the country with pretty much everybody in FBS uh, fielding a team that uh, in the past year, except for maybe one or two, right? I think UConn was one of them. So we finished the year in the top 25, first time ever. That in itself, if you're a lifelong Cajuns fan, is a huge accomplishment. The second thing I wanted to point out was we had six nationally televised games, uh, if you notice, and a lot of them had epic finishes. Uh, The game against Iowa State, the game against Georgia Southern in the home opener when Nate Snyder kicked that 53-yard field goal. I mean, I had relatives from Connecticut and New York texting me about the game. They were watching it on ESPN. You had had, uh, the nationally televised game against uh, App State where you went to their house on their senior day and you beat them for the first time in school history. You had the bowl game in, uh, in Dallas where we were able to take care of business against UTSA, add another bowl trophy to the list. So there were a lot of accomplishments with football, but I think the one that, that really stands out, really, really stands out is the perception of our football program. You know, 15 years ago, we were the walking doormat of college football. Now, if you would have told me 15 years ago that the University of Louisiana was the team that everybody is picking to sort of be the, I wouldn't say in football, the bracket buster, but the team that could upset a major P5, like they're talking about with us going into uh, the game against Texas, I would have laughed at you. I would have said, what what planet are you from? And here we are right now. And we're going to talk about this as the summer goes on and as minicamp starts in August, but we have, we're sitting here talking about having a shot to beat the Texas Longhorns. That's insane. Well, you know, That's insane. another point to, to piggyback onto that, you know, 15 years ago, if you would have, if you would have said that the university of Louisiana would even exist, you would, you would say, what planet are you from? Winning cures all, you know, when you, you have to earn the name, you like have to the, earn the, the fact, the, the fact that we would even be calling ourselves Louisiana. 15 years ago just us. was a was, was mind-boggling and it's not just us it's 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 all of these espn pundits cbs right. pundits fox fox has a promo our, with our billy rivals? Napier and steve i mean fox between steve sarkeesian and billy napier you know they got that big poster on that they're advertising texas versus louisiana september 4th well dude, i mean that's okay big time you man. know I, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought that up picture this Opening weekend of college football, Austin, Texas, DKR Memorial Stadium, probably one of the most prestigious stadiums in all of college football. On Big 12 primetime, Labor Day weekend. I know I already said that, but anyways, more than more than likely, Texas is going to be ranked. 
They they usually are in the preseason top 25. More than likely, they're going to be ranked. And then there's a chance that we could be ranked. Could you imagine a top 25 matchup on Big 12 primetime to kick off both the season? Teams, both teams will have a number next to their name just to hype the game up. You can yeah. bet on that. Yeah, I, sure. I, I wouldn't doubt that either. I, but, I but think th- what's cool, too. So, so, so I, I guess, and, and Jerry, I'll, I'll let you make your point before you answer this yeah. question, but I need, to, good, I, need to, I need to ask it. Is this going to be the biggest game in Cajun's history? Well, it's, yes, and I think also, too, you, you have to, we have momentum right now. You have to continue momentum, um, perception-wise. I mean, look, one thing I forgot to mention, we were the highest-ranked team in the state of Louisiana last season. And this is not, this is, you know, down the road, 45 minutes away, you had the defending national champions and we were ranked higher than them to the point where some of their fans who I talked to when they were struggling were saying, man, the way y'all are playing, number one, we want your coach. And number two, we, we're playing so bad right now, the Cajuns would beat us right now. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Since when would anybody say something like that? Somebody pinch me, right? But again, that's that's what the that's what the hashtag culture is all about. Is it's not only perception, but being able to play it out on the field. That's the big change, I think, going into 2020, 21 is can we uphold that reputation of maybe being the next Boise State, being the next Central Florida, and continuing that momentum going into Austin? Because, like you said, I think it is the biggest game. Not because you go be Texas, you can be Texas, but it's continuing the perception of your program and elevating it to even a higher level than it is now. I don't want to be a one-year wonder. Those people in South Carolina and Myrtle Beach, they might be a one-year wonder. I do not want to be a one-year wonder. I'm just saying. The people in COVID Carolina territory over there, it absolutely is a one. They're not going to – listen – we won't see them next year, which is unfortunate because we've developed an incredible we rivalry. We were going to kick their ass. We were going to, and, and they knew it. Uh, and, and that's a whole other thing that we can get into later, but they're going to lose four or five games in the Sun Belt this year, and, and they're going to fall back to where they belong, which is any irrelevancy. Yep. But here's the thing. It, or you asked the question, is it the biggest game in school history? It is based on one uh, uh, I, I don't know how you want to categorize it, but 114 million households are yep. going to see this game. Yep. It's far and away the most exposure where we have had to this point and probably will have for the rest of the season. Um, in, in, an, in a season where we have an opportunity to really get over the hump. So, and, and we're asking a lot. We're asking a lot. You go in and you're going into one of the most widely recognized uh, stadiums in the country to a blue blood who's on the way up. They've got a new coach, et cetera, et cetera. So, so let if me, it happens, so let me, let me ask this, you know, obviously we're going into this game as the underdog. There, there's no, there's no well, question about it. Whatever, yes, whatever way you paint it, we're yeah. the underdog. However, say, say hypothetically, we go to Austin, compete our ass off and we fall seven points short. Again, I'm no believer in moral victories. I don't. I don't believe in them. However, is that with from the from an exposure standpoint, from a from a conversation standpoint, blah blah blah, is that quote unquote a win for us? If I may, I'll take this one. Yes, because it's a perception changer. 
it's not a moral victory. If you go toe to toe with a blue blood on national television, first game of the season, all the buildup, all of the interest, and you hold your own and you lose by a touchdown. When you win the rest of your games and there's going to be now, look, things are expanding and things are changing in college football. So you never know what's at the end of the tunnel yeah, for I mean, they, the 20. They, they, they talked about a 12 team, uh, the conversation of a 12 team playoff came out today. That's right. I, and I saw Feldman report that. So you never know what's going to be going on in 2022. Um, however, the perception of Louisiana being on the same stage as Texas and fighting and competing. It's not a moral victory. It's a perception changer. And that's where we are in our evolution as a program, specifically football. I would say across the board, we have ways to go in certain areas, but specifically in football, perception has got to change. And and we've made a dramatic improvement in the last few years, but that Texas game for all the reasons we've already discussed, that's, to me, it's not a moral victory. To me, it's a perception changer, and that's why it's important. So, so Josh, as the as the most real as the most realistic fan of the Cajuns that I know, um, <laughs> so what's what you're let me, let me let me make sure I'm getting this straight. A win is not necessary. It, it's, it it's no, it's no question. Are. It's no question that it would it would change the landscape of of our program. However. You, you think that good things could come even if we aren't victorious? It depends. First of all, happiness is a slave to expectation. If your expectation like as a fan to walk into that place and walk out with a 10-point win, anything if other, you're going to be unhappy, right. if you're going to be unhappy with anything else, well, I, I don't know what kind of conversation you're willing to have with me. As long as our coaching staff, our players, our support staff, everybody in that building believes we're going to go to Austin, Texas and walk out with a W, that's all that matters to me. As a fan who has literally sat in the rain and watched Jerry Baldwin run this program into the ground, I'm not going to cry or shed a tear when I walk out of that stadium if it's a three-point loss, a seven-point loss. Now, I'll be upset because I know the opportunity that's in front of us. For sure. But... Is it a season ender? Is it, is, is it a goal derailer? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Especially if you go and take care of business the rest of the season. You're still going to be in the conversation for some pretty important bowl games, especially as a Sunbelt champion. And, and I'll say as, as far as the league is concerned, we've made leaps and bounds, again, perception-wise, to where we're not just a doormat anymore. You know, I think we're going to have some good teams. App State's coming back with a fury. Uh, Georgia, Georgia Southern is going to be good too. I know they lose shy, but I'm telling you, they still have a lot of, of good things hey, going on and they have Justin, a good solid Justin foundation. Tomlin's, Justin Tomlin's no slouch. No, he's, no, he's not at good, all. I think Troy's going to be a lot better. I, I think, and look, you still have COVID, uh, COVID Carolina over there. Uh, as much as we hate them, you know, they still have some potential. So Arkansas State's I think the still going to be good. I think the league is going to be good. I think it's going to be, it might, hell, it might be better than it was last year. And that's saying something. We had a historical year last year. And by the way, using the word historical, if I had to sum up last year's football season for the Cajuns, that's the word for me, guys. Historical. Absolutely. 100%. You, you, you beat App State for the first time. You beat App State on the road for the first time. I mean, you, you, you navigate a COVID schedule that was completely insane. You beat Georgia Southern with 20-plus players that are on the, the COVID list. You, you are nationally ranked for the first time. You go on the road and beat Iowa State, the Fiesta Bowl champion and top 10 team for the first time. And I mean, not only I mean, did think you about win, it, by the way, you dominated their ass. Think think about it this way. Your only hiccup last year was a home loss when you had 10 starters out 
by a field goal when you handed them the football with two minutes to go. A couple of, couple of incomplete passes down yeah, the you, stretch, and it's a you, different you, ball game. You handed them the football with, with, with 120 seconds left on the clock. So, so, you know, to stay on the same theme as historical, I mean, perception-wise, historical, name battle, historical. I mean, guys, so many things happened last year that we probably – we don't even really appreciate right now. Right. It's going to be maybe four or five years until we look back and say, wow, what when, an incredible when our, season. When our, when our recruiting classes are loading up because of what, they, what they saw in 2020. Yep, I mean, just look at the guys that we're getting to to commit. Uh, you know, that is a, a direct product of just, I mean, everything has changed for this football program. It's, it's amazing, again, when you go back to conversations of people like big-time pundits that are on the major networks, and when they're talking about, con, uh, you know, potential upsets in week one and two of the 2021 season, we're one of the first teams that are brought up. And this is against the Texas Longhorns, right? Hook 'em horns, eyes of Texas. You know, shoot the cannon. Oh, don't don't State. bring up don't bring up eyes of Texas. Oh yeah, I don't, can't don't do, that. do that. I'm sorry. Don't oh do my gosh, I can't do that. But but right, but but you know what I'm saying. I mean, Vince, well, why can't we talk about the eyes of, te- of Texas? You don't remember all the crap last year about how? Yeah, apparently was, they don't want to see it. Was, it was racial, yeah. and I don't pay attention to that shit. No, right, exactly. So, but anyway, but anyway, and, uh, but, uh, but, but anyways. When, when you're, when you're able to, because it's like, you know, people have asked me uh, recently, do we have a shot against Texas? I said, yeah, we do, but it's Texas. It's Texas. So it's the Texas Longhorns. It's Matthew McConaughey. It's the burn orange. It's, you know, again, Bevo, right? I mean, this is, this is Texas. And the fact that people are actually talking about us going toe to toe with them is a compliment to us. Um, I all think right, all right, all right. Expand, all right, all right, the Texas Longhorns. But anyway, to expand on what Josh just said uh, and, and to answer your question about whether or not uh, would a seven-point loss be satisfying or would it be considered, you know, a win or whatever, I, I go back to two games that stand out to me. Uh, one it was in 2003. The other was in 2007. Both games were against South Carolina. Now, in 2003, it was Ricky Bustle's second year. He was really trying to turn around the perception of the program after the Baldwin years. And we go to uh, we go to South Carolina. They were about a twenty something point favorite. Should have been a blowout. We were a rental win for them. Ended up losing the game fourteen to seven. Got stopped on the goal line twice. Could have scored early in the game. Couldn't do it. Got stopped on fourth and goal. I think we marched down to their. Wasn't uh, it? Wasn't it thirteen to seven? It was fourteen to seven. The final score was fourteen to seven. And after that game, we had played Louisiana Tech the second week and the expectations were high because they're like, oh my gosh, we've turned the corner. Well, then Louisiana Tech comes to town. They beat us 34 to three. We start the season 0 and 7, right? After that first game, I'm thinking, oh man, this is a new Cajuns team. We're going to win. And then you finish the season four and eight. Same thing in 2007. And that was the year I was an equipment manager. We go to South Carolina. We lose 28 to 14. Once again, inside their red zone twice, couldn't score. Pretty much went toe to toe with them. That was a Spurrier coach team. And after that game, I'm thinking, okay, we're, we're, we're for real. Like, this is, we went toe to toe with them, could have won the game. Two weeks later, we lose to Magnese. So, whether it's a seven point loss, whether it's a three point loss, to me, it's not about, I don't want to get blown out by Texas. Even if, if it's a seven-point loss, it's not a matter of whether it's a seven-point loss. It's what we do with that loss. Are we going to get better? Can right. we win? 
Two years ago, we went to we played Mississippi State, lost by 10, should have won. I actually told my wife and my dad and my mom before the game was over, we're down by 10, Levi throws a Hail Mary, and I looked at him and said, you know what? I know I sound crazy for saying this, but this is actually pretty satisfying to me. I've never seen a school with a, oh, against a P5 that, school and go toe-to-toe. That game but then was, you go that, on the message board. But then you go on the message board, and there's people that are furious going, man, we should have won the game. So we the perception is – but the perception is on the at the in the eye of the beholder, right? So like here I am going, you know what? It is kind of a moral victory because last year they the year before they beat us forty seven to ten, they blew us out, and then that game in in the dome we should have won. But then look what we did with it. After yep. that, look what we Absolutely. did with it. We took that loss. We beat Liberty the next week. We beat Georgia Southern. We went to Ohio. You know, went and, you know, even though we wow. lost to App State, we finished the season with a 11, 11 and three record. So we took that game and we made it into a positive. I just hope that in spite of what happens against Texas, win or lose, can we build on that? And I expect us to build on that. So that that kind of answers your question. That, I don't. It's not a matter of a seven-point loss or a win. I just want to be able to build on that because it's the first game of the right. season, right? It's one that, game. That that Mississippi State game still hurts. I mean, you don't if you don't turn the ball over five times, you win that game. But regardless of the fact, I I agree. I agree with your point. We, we, we built upon that game. We turned it into a good season. It was, that game was a huge step in the right direction for us. I'll say this though. I'll, I'll, I'm going to give you my expectations for the, for the Texas game. And it's the same expectations I had last year when we played Iowa state. Well, look on the Mississippi state point. I think that game taught those guys that they could win and win against big quote unquote, right. SEC, you know, the big, the big boys. Yeah, no, for sure. You know what? Yeah, I, quote you, unquote. You know when I knew we belonged on the field with them in the second quarter. Trey Regis just pulled like a twenty-something yard yep. run right down their throats, and one of their linebackers faked an injury. Yep, faked an injury. That's when I was like, "You, I mean," and I was actually on my phone going on the SEC message boards, and so many SEC fans were giving Mississippi State fans a hard time, going, "Oh, really? Against ULL? You, you're going to fake right. an injury against you, them? You la la." But, but it's a compliment to us, but they're also making fun of them. Like, and, but that tells me, okay, we, we belong in this field when they're faking injuries against you, you're doing something right. You know, my, like, like I said, my, my expectations for the game against Texas are are plain and simple. Stay healthy, compete your ass off. Don't make too many mistakes. If we win in the process, fantastic. But if if we if we do those three things and only lose by three or seven, I'm not gonna be mad. I'm not. Look, man, go make us proud. You got a you got a senior quarterback. You got a lot of guys back. You Speaking got a ton of which, of we're gonna dive field. into all that right now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, you, you're three deep in a lot of positions. You have an excellent offensive line. We have what I think is one of the best young defensive coordinators in the country. I think that we have a top three unit in our secondary, our back seven. Not the front seven, but our uh, I said seven. Did we, we typically play a three safety, so it, right. you could say the back five. But I think that we have three, at least two NFL safeties. I think we have at least three NFL cornerbacks. Our secondary showed man-on-man last year what they could do to a Big 12 offense, and it was a thing of beauty. Well, you see – I expect them to be better this year. Go out and make us proud. That's all I, I, I like. I, I like when Josh talks because he, he brings up points that I don't even think about making. You know, you you bring up you bring up the the secondary and, and the way that they're they're able to play man to man defense so efficiently. Think about this. You know, the game against Texas, you got a new head coach. 
implementing a new system. And then who's running that system? A quarterback who's only played one game. Granted, that exactly. one that one game was a show. Casey Thompson looks like the real deal. But he's only played one game. Well, also I think, too. I, I think I think this is going to be a game that's going to be very opposite to Iowa State. Iowa State was a game where you know, we could let them do their thing early on, and we knew that we were a second-half team and we'd find a way to come back. Texas, we're going to have to punch them in the mouth early. You're well, going to have to get that too, kid rattled. I, I also think, too, though, I, what, what only the only thing that concerns me, and we'll talk about this as the season gets closer, but the only thing that concerns me in this game, really, as far as offense goes, because, look, Levi's going to have eight different receivers to throw to. I mean, we're going to be so deep Isn't with tight end. problem to have? Receiver. But here's, here's, here's an issue, though, that I, I'm – and I'm not massively concerned, but it's about experience, right? Even though we're going to possibly be a ranked team and we're good and all this stuff, we also lost two running backs who are getting the ball and are going pro. We lost two NFL running backs. You say that, and if you're wondering, he's doing the talk, talk, talk here. Here's the problem with that. That's experience. And the only thing that concerns me is, and look, Chris Smith is coming in. I think Imani Bailey is going to be good. The only thing that concerns me is, They've become such, uh, between Elijah Mitchell and Trey Regis, they were such staples. It makes me wonder, can Chris Smith and Imani Bailey come in in game one and just pick up from where the other two left off? Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you, no question. But I will I will quote the infamous Troy Wingerter. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know if, you, if you guys listened to him on uh, 1420 today. He, he was talking about the team, whatnot, and Chris Smith got, that, that exact question got brought up. You know, you lose Trey, you lose Eli. How do you... How do you build on that? How do you how do you replace that? They spent about five minutes talking about Chris Smith. And one thing that Wingerter mentioned, Chris Smith has put on enough weight to where he is comparable to Trey and Eli. Dude, when we landed Chris Smith, Mike Desermo absolutely lost his mind. And there's a story that, that goes around the complex that I can't tell on the pod yet, but I will one day. And it's trust me, it's just so legendary. And it's going to be amazing when I'm able to say it. But Wingarder's, Chris Smith. Wingarder's exact words was that Chris Smith has put on enough weight to be our every down back. Chris Smith well, here's- might be the best back in the league, and that's with... Uh, well, no, actually, I forget that... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Marable, he graduated, but... Chris Smith may be a Marable type back. I'm telling you, I think he's an NFL back. Yeah. And, and here's, here's the thing. I am up. Yes, I agree. I am optimistic about our running attack. The only thing is, and look, I'm not saying they're going to have, like, I think by two, even in spite of Texas with the depth of running backs, we have, even with the youth of running backs, we have from guys that are coming from, you know, the running back from Karen Crow, the one from Dallas South, those two guys, I think they're going to, by game two or game, probably by game three or game four, once conference hits, once they start getting carries, we're going to, we're just, I mean, we're going to be the machine that keeps rolling. I do think it's going to, it's kind of like when you start an airplane, right? You kind of got to get the engines running a little bit before you can take off. I think those first couple games, which includes Texas, they're going to have to get the engines running a little bit. Now come conference. Oh, we're going to have five, we're going to have five or six running backs that are going to be loaded. It's just a matter of, can they, can they come in quick enough? Can they expedite that 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 transition to where they can make a difference against Texas? 
I don't know. I, I really don't. I think they're good enough to, but we're, we're, we're going to have to see. I agree with, with that being an unknown. I'll also say that the offensive line is going to be better this year. But I also wonder, is midseason form, I know it's a damn cliche, but are they going to be closer to midseason form for Texas? Because, look, the talent is there. The size is there. The coaching is yeah, I mean, there. You, you bring, you bring but back. But sometimes it takes time to gel. It takes time to gel. Yeah, so sure. are they going to be in that mode already or, or right. within that game? Right. And right. if they are, that's going to help the backs really exceed expectations oh, early. look. If they are in midseason mode, I'm going to tell you right now, we beat Texas. I, I agree. If, here's, if they're in midseason mode, we will beat the Texas long ones. Here's a, because I don't think Texas, and I'm sorry to cut you off, Matt, but I'll just say this, like you just mentioned. I don't, with a new head coach and a new quarterback, I'm not, and especially replacing a guy like Sam Mellinger. And the guy was, you know, he was a pretty good quarterback over there. One of the all-time greats at Texas, for sure. Yeah, so I, I don't know. It's going to be hard for Texas to pick up where they left off. And now you're facing you look you out. We're, the Cajuns are a veteran, a veteran laden team. They got a bunch of veterans on their front seven, on defense, the offensive line, the receiving core, running backs. Really, the young, the young part of the team. And you got it. You got a what a fifth year quarterback, a fourth year quarterback. I mean, so you or no, it's a fifth year quarterback. So you know, I think I don't. That's not that it's an issue with 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 uh, as far as the running backs go. I don't think it's too big of an issue. But I do think if they're able to pick up faster and get into midseason form the first game, Texas has a lot more adjusting. They're going to have to do a lot more adjusting than we are. So if they are in midseason form, Josh, I think, I think we beat them. I think we win the game. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't disagree. One, one thing, you know, I was on, I was on the Longhorn Republic podcast last night and uh, I didn't even know this. It, it's crazy. The, the, the Texas guys taught me something about the program that I didn't know. So we're returning every member of our offensive line. Did you know that our offensive line was fifth nationally last season in tackles for loss allowed? Fifth nationally. And now they're all coming back. Every single one of them. Right. It, 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 it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to think how talented this program can be. And then I'm looking at the roster, which speaking of which, let, let's talk one thing about the roster. You mentioned Kendrell Williams and the running back from De La Salle. One thing that kind of concerns me, neither one of them are on the roster. But, you know, that that's a that's a conversation for another day. If you, if you flip through the roster, though, I mean, think about guys that made huge contributions for our program last year. Kyron Lacey, freshman. A freshman once again. Errol Rogers Jr., a freshman again. <laughs> that is insane. Dante Fleming, a freshman again. Monty Bailey, a freshman again. Trey Amos, a freshman again. Um, God, Chandler Fields. Let's let's talk about Chandler mm -hmm. Fields for a second. The the one hundred percent to most to most occasion nation, the one hundred percent no doubt successor to Levi Lewis. Red shirt freshman. Yeah. It's amazing, man. I, you know, but that, but that, that's the process that Billy talks about, right? That the, 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 the process of the Nick Saban model that he's implementing that works right next man up. I mean, you look at the spring game this year, I had the chance to go and dude, we were four, like Josh talks about being three deep. I'm a one up. I think we were four deep on the depth chart. Yeah. I think we're four deep in everything. Yeah, so when you see the type up. of, 
I mean, the talent we have, and look, I'm not saying that to be biased. I've seen Cajuns teams dating back to the 90s. I've never seen a team with this much talent in, in, in one roster. Not like this. This yeah. team is good. Yeah, this no, team is, no. and, and, and the best part is, the best part is, some of these guys that we were hyping and recruiting aren't even on campus yet. They're right. not even on campus. Right. Yeah, man, we're we're 80, we're eighty we're eighty six days away from football, and it, you know it just it couldn't be here, uh, couldn't be here fast enough. Could not be here fast enough. But you know we'll, we'll get into we're gonna take a break here. Got some got some sponsor ads to run. But uh, when we come back, we'll we'll finish up the conversation about football. I have one topic I want to bring up, and then we're gonna skip around a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna talk some diamond sports, just because we're we're just gonna have some fun with some diamond sports. We'll do that. And so much more when we come back on Rage and Review. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combined 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Welcome back to Rage Interview. Matt Miguez, Jerry Abear, Josh Jagno. We got plenty to talk about. We're gonna we're gonna dive into it now. We had fun talking about football in the first segment, but but boys, you know, let's let's go to the hardwood and talk about the men's basketball program. It was an interesting year for men's basketball, to say the least. Um, you know, you, you go 17-9 and nine on the year, 10-7 and seven in the conference. You know, you open up the season with a game in Vegas, which was scheduled on the fly uh, against the eventual national champion Baylor and you're only down one point at halftime which you know 
again, not a fan of moral victories, but that was that was pleasing to see. And then, you know, you, you start your stretch of in-state, for lack of better words, in-state nobodies um, that we play every year. And then you dive, you dove into the conference, and, you know, the conference was kind of consistently inconsistent. You'd go on a four-game winning streak here. You'd go on a three-game losing streak there, yada, yada, yada. And then, you know, I quote the Beauty and the Beast. It, it's a tale as old as time. We can't get anything done in the conference tournament. You know, you, you get to the you get to the conference semifinals and, and you play a Georgia State team who I mean, I, I'm gonna be totally honest, I didn't think they were that great. And but they own us. They they own us. God damn do they own us. Um and and it was it was more of the same. We were down seventeen at one point. You come back and you tie that game. And then I think you used all your energy trying to make that comeback to where you, you just ran out of gas down the stretch. And so, you know, your, your season ends there because, you know, you can't win a conference championship. And Malik Wilson says, deuces, I'm out. Which, you know, is an absolute killer because he's he, he was the offense the, the last two seasons. You know, there, there's there's no there's no denying that um, he announces he's going to Texas Tech. It was it was a rather short recruiting process for him, uh, which again does not surprise me. He's an elite level talent. But then you know the interesting thing kind of started to unravel, and there was there was some whispering of transfers that that Bob Marlin was was thinking about getting or you know going after blah blah blah. And that turns into Dalen Dalcourt from San Jose State, who is, interestingly, in case you didn't know this, he is the half-brother of former Lafayette High product and Houston standout Corey Davis. So there, there's a little bit of basketball in, in the family there. And then, you know, the, the biggest news in, in this transfer process was definitely Jordan Brown from Arizona, the the consensus five star out of high school, McDonald's All American, ESPN top one hundred. I mean, you you name an accolade a high school senior can get. Jordan Brown got it, and he was heavily recruited by Louisiana. Actually, came to a game in the Cajun Dome one Saturday night with his dad, former Cajuns legend Dion Brown. And you know everything seemed oh well you know dad's pushing him. We might get him. That didn't happen. He goes to Nevada. His stay at Nevada was underwhelming. And now, and then he goes to Arizona. And in one year at Arizona, he aver- he plays almost 20 minutes a game, averages nearly a double-double in those 20 minutes. He's named the Pac-12 Sixth Man of the Year. Which is... You know, going from the Pac-12 to the Sun Belt. I mean, you you look at the you look at oh, we got to transfer those Pac-12 Six Man of the Year. Holy shit! But then you know, realists sit there and go, "Well, it's his third school in three years. What the hell happened?" Again, underwhelming performance at Nevada. He goes to Arizona, has a great year at Arizona, but then Arizona gets tied into all the Will Wade bullshit. 
Archie Miller, Sean Miller, whatever, whatever, one of the Miller brothers who was coaching at, at Arizona got into a similar situation as, as Will Wade gets fired because Arizona doesn't want to deal with it, which is what LSU should have done, but, you know, story for another day. And so now, obviously, with that happening, Jordan Brown doesn't want to be associated with it, so he decides to transfer, and now he ends up at Louisiana. Long story short, here's my question. Do, do these transfers with the roster that we still have, Cedric Russell coming back for another year, Theo Akuba, uh, possibly a healthy Kobe Julian, Brian AU, so on and so forth, can it is this finally a team that Bob Marlin can do something with? Oh, I'm thinking long and hard here because um, look, Jerry needs to go first because he needs to lay the groundwork for what needs to sound like coherent discourse because you know <laughs> what I'm going to say. Okay. Um, well, you know, for starters on paper, I, um, when I look at the transfers coming in that you just mentioned Matt, and when I see the players that are being retained, you know, Cedric Russell comes back. Kobe Julian stays healthy, which unfortunately, I, nothing against the young man, but I, I, he gets hurt. He's been consistently getting hurt. Um, between Russell, Akuba, Julian, and these newer guys, especially someone like Brown, um, on paper, and I said this last year, this is a team that should finish in the top three. On paper actually compete for a conference championship. I said the same exact thing last year. Then all of a sudden last year, we go 17 and nine and we finished fourth. And once again, like you said, tail as old as time, which is actually a great reference, by the way, we make it to the semifinals and in a 12 year, 11, 12 year span, we make the finals one year. So I, I it's almost, it's, it's one of those situations where on paper we should be really good. We have a lot of talent. We have a lot of guys that are good enough to help us win a conference championship. I think this team is good enough to do what, what, what the 2018 team, uh, 2018 team did, but I've, it's yet to be seen because over the past few years, we've had bad cases of injuries. We've had bad cases of bad luck. We drop a few games. We're not supposed to lose. You know, we lose a few games. We're not supposed to lose, but, but I think on, like I said, on paper, we should win. Um, but I, again, but, but another another thing is too. The question I have is, can these players gel right away? Uh, what you see in the transfer portal, the rules of the NCAA allowing players to be eligible right away. You know, the guys like Frank Bartley and all the others, Jakeen and Gant, they had a year to develop while they were here before they transferred. They had to sit out, so they they were able to develop leading up to that 2017-2018 uh, season. This team is playing right on the fly. They're going to be joining in. They're going to be at practice. They're already started they're starting practice pretty soon. And they're they're jumping into it now. So they're not going to have a full year to jail. But again, on paper, on paper, they're good enough to win a conference championship. And I don't want to sound negative, but, I, you know, last year I said this team was a top three team. They had a shot. And granted, they had some injuries. I know Brian A.U. got hurt and Devin Butts got hurt for a few games and uh, Kobe Julian, once again, poor guy got hurt. The team finished in fourth place. But I still think in spite of those injuries, they were better than a fourth place team. 
Um, so we're going to see, we're going to see. I just think right now uh, it, it's almost, it, it's almost like a, a broken record, you know? Um, and, and I'm saying this as a challenge. I'm not saying this as a criticism. I'm saying this as a challenge to the coaching staff listening to the if, if they, I know there's some die, die hard season ticket holders that are debating whether or not they want to buy. I know there's some want to buy tickets or whatnot. Look, prove me wrong. Show me that you can get the job done. Prove me wrong. Go, go win a conference championship. This team is good enough to do it. I'll say this. If this team does not win a conference championship, I don't think we ever will. There's, this there is, is way too talented. There is zero. And, and you guys know me. I am. I have always been a guy to stand up for this basketball program because I'm, I'm a basketball guy. That's what I've been my entire life. Zero excuse to miss the NCAA tournament this year. Zero. Well, you got to start by making the, the, the Sunbelt Conference final. Oh, I, mean, I mean, we haven't I mean, made the final agree, in, in, agreed. since 2014. Agreed. But what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is if you got a scorer like Cedric Russell coming back, you have a big man like Theo Okuba coming back, if he can stay healthy, you have an electric small forward in Kobe Julian coming back. You throw in guys like Jordan Brown, Dalen Dalcourt, Creighton transfer, Antoine Jones, you know, zero, Russell, zero Russell's reason coming back. Yes. Yeah, Cedric, yeah. Cedric Russell, zero reason that you don't win. Well, I'll say this in this conference, no excuse. I mean, one of my biggest criticisms last year offensively was we, we didn't really utilize the big men as much, you know, and, and I know everybody loves to throw out, Oh, it's a three, you know, college basketball, they shoot the three, shoot the three. In our conference, you both you had both Theo Akuba and Duguay, who were both big men for their size in this conference. I mean, this is a guards comp, a guards league, and we never. I don't think we the games we utilized them. We won the game against UT Arlington. We were down what twelve points late in the second half, and all they did was utilize Duguay in the paint, and he forced so many fouls. We ended up, you know, and got a few three pointers, and we won the game. We didn't. We didn't do that down the stretch. We just kept shooting threes, and we didn't really have. I felt the offense was was wasn't clicking at times, and the game against Monroe, of course, the infamous uh, <laughs> post game quotes, if you will, the game against Monroe we lost. You know, even when we had the chance to make a run, shooting threes, no no inside game. And to me, in this league with the size we have this year, you can easily use inside game and win. It's kind of like what we did in 2018 with Jakeen and Gant. You got Theo Akuba, you got Mr. Brown, you got these guys who are have size. You got Kobe Jordan who can drive down the lane. You got guys who are big enough in size. This year, I expect them to use that. And then you got Cedric Russell's uh, uh, three-point shot and his ball control. So, again, I just I just look at it on paper. They are they're a very talented team coming in. If they can't win it this year, I don't think they ever will. If they can't go to the conference, the conference final this year, I just I don't know how it can get much better than this. Now, granted, we, we have to stay healthy, but on paper, this team should should at least make the conference final. Okay, I guess I'll start. Um, look, Brock Morris tweeted out something today that I thought was very interesting, and I like Brock a whole lot. This is not a dig at Brock because this is a, it's a very popular catchphrase, catch-all phrase that folks have been using for a while, and it's talent sets the floor, character sets the ceiling. I'd like to amend that a bit. And I would say talent most certainly does set the floor. But how about coaching and development sets the ceiling? Because 
to me, that's really why you come here. Like if I'm extremely talented, I could go overseas and play ball. I could go to the G league and try to try out for an NBA um, developmental organization. I, I could, there's, there's many options in 2021. The entire experience of playing division one basketball is coming into a structured environment, learning how to play for your team, learning how to develop your skills, learning how to compete for a championship, even at a level at the Sun Belt, like the Sun Belt. Um, I just want to amend, amend that quote just a bit. And the reason why I think that that quote isn't amended already is because we don't do that very well here. And we haven't for a decade, decade plus. And I, I don't think that that's unfair. One tournament final appearance in 11 years, going on 12. Uh, name me a profession where you can be wrong more, you know, be right less than 10% of the time and keep your job. And this you is can't. not about Bob Marlin. This is not about Bob Marlin. This is about everything. This is about, I mean, the state of college, the, the state of collegiate basketball at this time is different. Yes. I'll grant you that transfers and the portal. And you know, I, I understand all that's part of the deal, but you're seeing like historic turnover where we we're going to have a brand new team again next year. I, I, I mean, at, at what point do we have, do we, do we have any faith in these teams having any kind of time to, to be a go a cohesive unit and gel and, and learn each other and learn how to get the best out of the team unit. When you can pay them a million dollars. Hey, look, if that's what it takes, I'm not against getting a bag, man. I, I'm just saying like, can we get a, can we, can we get somebody that's going to captain the ship that knows how to get this done? So we have a McDonald's all American coming in. And I know this is a recap show, so I'll go back to the last season right after I make, I make this comment. But we have a McDonald's All-American coming in. We have a high school four-star recruit. We have uh, the 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 uh, uh, the kid from San Jose who's a sharpshooter from Lafayette. We we we've got like a plethora of talent Wait, coming to the Cajun. Who who's the four-star high school recruit? Uh, the kid from uh, Antoine. James was his last name? Oh, the kid from Creighton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Creighton. He yeah, was yeah, a four-star yeah. out of high school. So we have guys that, I mean, look, nationally have been recognized as folks who can play. But but let me remind you that this is not new to this coaching staff. We had that in 17, 18, in 19. We had a big, huge turnover with guys that were respected, um, and it didn't materialize. you're starting to run out of reasons of why it's not working. You know, Brian Maggard several years ago now said, our goal is to compete for championships in every sport, every single season. Guys, we're not close in basketball. This is a bad league. It's a, it's a bottom third RPI league year in and year out for the better part of a decade. We are still pretty much where we were 10 years ago. Now, do we graduate players? Sure we do. Part of the job. Do we recruit good folks? We use multiple sure schools we to do. do it, but, you know, whatever. Look, I don't care what what the propaganda that they throw out that Mike Murphy decides he's going to use for the next week. 
the propaganda is what it is. They do things that should be they should be understood. It's like we we said this years ago when we when we started doing the pod together. You don't get a bonus for showing up on time to work. Nope. All right. You don't get a bonus for getting good people in your program that can graduate their classes and keep your APR up. Big nope. effing deal. That's what we, we we expect that to happen. Okay. It's time to win. This fan base, this great fan base, and our facilities and the people who support and the people who still show up despite the disappointment and the underachievement, they deserve a winner. They deserve a winner. Now, going back to this past year, I thought that Duguay got a little bit better, but he's still not anything like we thought he would be. I thought Akuba, in some games, looked like a dominant force in the Sunbelt Conference. No reason why he can't get better and really become, you know, maybe a, say, a five, top five, top ten player in the league. I don't see why that can't happen. I think Cedric Russell, if he's healthy, can also challenge to be one of those type of players in the Sun Belt. Um, obviously, you lost uh, Brian. I don't even know how to say his last name. Al, A-L, A-U. So you lost Brian there, and he gave you some nice minutes as at the point guard off the bench. But, I mean, really, come on. I mean, is he going to help you win the league? I don't know. Maybe he can get you, you know, eight to ten minutes of solid play in a game. I, I don't know. I, I'm not sold. I didn't see enough. Kobe Julian is, is, I mean, look, he is what he is, man. He, he at one time was a very talented guy and I'm not saying he's not talented anymore, but the injuries take a toll after a certain period of time. That goes for all of us. We're all human. A, a, an injured knee is going to be get an injured knee, which is going to be get a, a, a lower back issue. Which is going to be get a, maybe an ACL problem later. You never know if he's ever going to live up to what he could be. I hope he does because the guy seems like a great dude. I mean, hell, the kids already point, the kids already torn two ACLs. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, to this point, it just didn't work out. And sometimes that's the case, but it's the case way too often in this program. There are several other names I can mention, but you know, five of them had tra- have transferred out. So what's the point? Right. You know, we, we had inconsistent play off the bench. Sometimes we look great. Sometimes we didn't. It, to me, it was an again. It, it was it was your prototypical Bob Marlin season. And, and expectations high. You, you end up achieving somewhere in the middle of those expectations and, and you do absolutely nothing in the conference tournament and we go nowhere. We, we sit and watch everybody else dance. But you see, Josh, you brought up an interesting point. You, you, you talked about how, you know, the Kobe Julian situation happens too many times in our program. And I know, I know we've had this conversation on the podcast before, but it kind of begs the question, what's happening in between games? What's going on behind the scenes to where these kids are getting injured? Well, look, the conventional wisdom because they're not had, getting they're not getting hurt in games, you, right? You, you hear about them getting hurt on a random Wednesday morning, exactly. And and so the conventional wisdom for for elite level of basketball, and I'm talking like D1, G League, NBA, is that folks that sustain injuries, especially repeated injuries. What they say is, is those players are not committed to taking care of their bodies. For example, in college, you want to really, you got, you need to dodge the fast food. You need to, you need to know when is appropriate to eat. You want to drink a lot of water. You want to, you want, you really want to pay attention to nutrition. Billy Napier has instituted that in the football program. And, and how many major injuries have we had in three or four years? It's not many. So it, it, it does come down to a certain degree to the player taking responsibility for their body care. Now, 
you can argue that there are certain things that they do in practice that are not necessarily beneficial to the players from an injury standpoint. I mean, there's a myriad of things that you can go to to say, why are these things continuing to happen on this staff's watch? They may be targeting guys that have an injury history because those uber-talented guys can't get to the Blue Bloods because of their injury history. That's also an argument. It could be a mixture of all three. I don't know. I don't want to blame and and I don't want to speculate because that's one hell of a thing to say. But what we know for a fact is that historically injuries are a major problem at this program. You know, I I just, at this point, I I hear people talk about um, what's going and we've, and we've talked about this with, uh, with Brad when he was on about, basketball in the South and why we can't do this. Why, you know, well, basketball is not what it used to be. And, and, you know, it's not what it was in the eighties and nineties. And I, I understand that I get it. You know, the, the college sports change every year. It evolves. And in basketball in the South, it's not what it is in the Northeast or it's not what it is in North Carolina or Indiana or up in the mid upper Midwest where the big 10 is. And, you know, it's not, I, I agree at the same time in the Sun Belt. Every team in the Sun Belt's in the Deep South. You look at facilities, we have nice facilities. We have Dallas six hours away, New Orleans two hours to the east, Houston three hours to the west. We've got a bunch of decent-sized cities in this area where we can recruit enough talent to at least compete with our peers in this conference. So my reaction to that is basically, and, and like you said, Josh, we have, it's sort of like wash, wins, repeat. we got these players coming in, they're great but then sometimes we don't either they get injuries or they don't, they don't really fully sustain the full potential. And we end up in the losing in the semifinal of the conference tournament. But my, my, my response to those who say those things about, Oh, well, it's not what it used to be. We need to learn how to adapt to the new, to the way things are. We need to learn how to adapt. And that's, if we're not going to learn how to adapt, we'll never win because we're just going to say, well, well, I'm going to throw my hands up. What was me? Uh, it, things have changed. There's nothing we can do about it. Well, in that case, then you might as well just drop the program then because the, the goal, like you said, is to win championships. It's time to adapt. It's time to quit saying why we can't do something and adapt. Adapt to the new uh, way basketball is. Adapt to if basketball is different in the South, then come up with a plan to adapt to it and try to find a good enough team to build to win championships, which I think they're doing now. I, I think they have the team now. But now it's time to show show us something. Show me something. Yeah, no, no, no question about it. And you know, one, before we before we move on from men's basketball, one one transfer that we failed to mention was Greg Williams. Yeah, we, we didn't we didn't bring up Greg Williams, who is a, a dead eye shooter. He's from, good. He, he 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 grew up in our backyard at LCA. Ends up at freaking St. John's. I mean Madison Square Garden. The Big East and basketball. I mean, how do you? So, so let me get this straight. We got two Big East transfers. We got one. We got one from the Pac-12. Um, we got another one from the Mountain West. No excuse. Look, I mean, we can, got talent. They, they can sign the dream team. It doesn't matter until they all get here, learn how to play together. Yep and are coached by a guy that knows how to win. And I'm not talking about in the Southland. I'm talking about really win. Okay? If you look at the paper, the talent on paper, this is a Sweet 16 team. 
Oh God, yeah. We're returning. We're returning what could have been Akuba. If if Akuba has a few, I tell you this. I think Akuba's potential is Sunbelt Player of the Year. Oh yeah. We have Cedric Russell returning, who is one of the most decorated shooters in the history of the of the uh, of the program, and we're adding four of of literally. If you look at the portal, these are four of maybe the top thirty transfers in America. This is a sweet 16 potential team. If you can't make it to the Sunbelt Conference Tournament final, somebody's got to start asking some tough questions around here. Yeah. There's no excuse this year. Yep. And, and, and in spite of injuries, look, you're going to get injuries. Like the 2020 season, we had it. I mean, half the team was out. You know, we had a losing season. Totally understandable. Totally forgivable. Um, mm. You know, I mean, you were literally going for, on campus. For, forgivable? Oh, dude, the 2020 season where, like, pretty much all of our starting five and, like, we had, like, eight players that were hurt for the year. That year was a little different. But last year and the year before that, no. I don't want to hear one guy getting hurt affecting your entire season. I don't want to hear that anymore. Um, well, on this on paper right now. What are you talking about? Jonathan Stove had a stomachache and we lost to, uh, who was it, Little Rock? I, forget, I don't even remember who it was because we had a stomachache, you know. Oh, we had the most talented team and, and dip, deepest team in the history of the program, but, you know, we get a stomachache and we can't make it to the final. Just saying. Well, I mean, or, that's what or, I'm saying. Not, no or, more. Or what, no about, more what, what about in the Sunbelt Conference Tournament when Ganton had the flu and, you know, Stove had a bum ankle that he apparently had been playing on all year? That's what it was. Gant had a tummy ache and uh, uh, Stove, uh, you know, rolled his ankle when he got out of bed, so we lost, you know. <laughs> Who knows? Well, all right, think, moving, moving, moving on. No, Real quickly, real quickly. I just think now we got the talent. All I'm going to say is this. We got the talent. Time to win. Go win a championship. Let's go to the dance. I'm tired of not seeing our name on a bracket. No excuse. Okay. No excuse. I want to see Louisiana on a bracket so I can fill it out. Time now, look, at the end of all that conversation, do you guys actually – what do you expect to happen? That's what I'm curious. That's what I've been asking, folks. I mean – What do you expect to happen? You know, I'll, I'll answer that one. Um I mean, my thing is, is with the guys that you already have and the guys you have experience with already, you know what you have coming back. And you add in guys, like I mean, like we said, we're adding two Big East transfers, a Pac-12 transfer and a Mountain West transfer. With with that caliber of a lineup, I expect the NCAA tournament. I do. In, in, in a lackluster Sunbelt conference, I expect the Sun, the the NCAA tournament and the conference championship. But what do you I, think? What do you think will happen? What, what I do I? What do I question. think? What do I think is going to happen? I think we win the regular season championship. We're a one seed in the tournament, and we lose the first game we play. Um, I'm with Matt. Yowza. I think we. I think we're <laughs> I mean, look on paper. I, I think we're good enough to win the conference. Um, I think we have the talent to win the conference with the guys coming back. What do I think is going to happen? I think we win the regular season. We'll win over 20 games. Um, and I think we'll dominate the conference kind of like in it's 2018. It's going to be 2018 all over again. I just think. You, you right dominate now, you dominate the conference in the regular season. People go, oh, my God, look out for Louisiana. And then we sit on the John. I think we drop it in the championship. I think we make the championship game this year. But I, think I don't know. I don't know. If we even make, I don't even know now, if we make the championship game. But here's my thing. If we have a full healthy team. To me, it's championship or bust, and not regular season championship. We're not going. If, no, if if, if you stay if you stay healthy, it yeah, it, it's tournament or bust. No, no we're not going. We're not going Marty Schottenheimer here like he did it for the Chargers, going fourteen and two, and then losing in the wild card. That doesn't excuse anything. 
I'm not going to sit here and and talk about well, we won the regular season championship. No, 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 if no, no. If you no, aren't, no, 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 if no. you aren't, if you stay healthy, none of that. If you're not sitting there on Selection Sunday waiting for your name to get called, it's inexcusable. No, it's you know, inexcusable. The, well, the three games in March, remember, that's what matters. And you know, App State did it last year. Troy's pulled it off. Little Rock's done it. It's our turn to do and, it. And now. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say this in closing. I, I commend the people that can just kiss ass to this program. I, I do. I don't know how you do it because I, that was me for a very, very long time. You know, look, you, you, you had, you had, hard. you had years, you had years of mediocrity and I, I would always sit there. Oh, you know, next year will be better. Next year we'll win next year, next year, next year, next year. I'm sick of it. But you know what? I'm though, Matt? sick of saying it, it, next it's, year. It's okay to be a loyal fan, but at the same time, I'm not going to be blinded by loyalty whenever I know our potential is a lot higher than what we've been. And in any sport, not just but basketball. You, and and, and you know what? You know what? Me, me being this angry about the way the basketball team has been the last couple of years shows how loyal I am. I'm fed we up. We still watch. We're better I than this. Watch. We're better Look, than this. In any, in any UL sport, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, here's the facts. We donate money if we give to RCAF. This is an this is an investment. This is not a charity. We don't blindly give to just for a bureaucracy. This is not a bureaucracy. This is an investment. Fans expect a return on investment. When I donate my donation to RCAF, I want to win championships. Now I mean I may not give, I may not give Warren Buffett money to the program, but I have a little stake in the matter. We all have a little stake in the matter. Us doing the podcast right now. Well, I mean, think is, think, is about, think, think about this. Think about so, this. Seven, we are seven years removed from having an NBA starting point guard and the Chinese League MVP on our team at the same time. Not to mention, Alfred gets drafted and we bring in a young freshman who is fighting his way through the G League right now. In Jay Wright, you know, you have a year where you where you bring in three monumental transfers, all from the SEC and one from one from the Pac-12. You you bring in the Louisiana State Player of the Year in Kobe Julian, you bring in Malik Wilson who was the State Player of the Year, you, but but what do you what do you have to show for it? Oh, we made it to the semifinals of our lackluster conference. Whoop the effing do. It's an absolute tragedy. If you if you look back, wasn't Seti Russell also a, a Louisiana? Yeah. Player of the year. Yeah. I mean, look, it's an absolute travesty. And for people to sit on the radio and then they print in the in the newspaper, look, it's so bad. We have underachieved. Talent has not been the issue. No, I'm no. Sorry, no. I will never believe that. That's why. Look, we haven't seen any of these transfers play for Louisiana. Have not seen it. I wish them all the best. I hope we go undefeated. I hope we go to the Final Four. But if I'm looking at history, we'll sustain multiple injuries. We'll win 22 games and we'll lose in the semis. Yep. Because that's what we do. Yep. Uh, I hope it doesn't happen. Of course, I hope it doesn't happen. But if somebody asks me what I think is going to happen. Why would I think any different? Yeah, no, I mean, no, no. I, I don't. One thing I'll give to Bob, he's been remarkably consistent at being pretty good. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's no question about it, and I don't really think that there's much more we, we can say about the basketball program. But well, you know, I got one more thing. Oh, I got okay. one more thing. All right, let's go. One more thing. To the fans, the diehards that are listening that may disagree with us, to the coaching staff that may disagree with us, to the players. Let's talk. I say three. No, no, no. I say three. Well, yeah, let's talk, but I got three words. I got three words for you, okay? It's pretty simple. Prove us wrong. Oh God, I would love I would love to eat crow on this. I would love. Uh, look, we will do a full episode of eating if we go to the dance next year. I'll eat crow. I'll, I'll be proud to eat crow because I, would, I mean we're. I I will videotape eating crow. I mean I, I just want to see our name on a bracket. That's all I want. Is that yep. I mean just put, I want to see Louisiana not, on a bracket. That's not a lot to ask for, especially not in this, a sunbelt bracket in this lackluster conference. All right, I want to see Louisiana on a bracket. All right, that's let's all let's talk about a positive hardwood season. And that, of course, is Gary Broadhead in the women's basketball program, sixteen and eight on the year, winning two two out of two thirds of their games, thirteen and one in the Sun Belt Conference, making it to the Sun Belt Conference final for the first time in program history, putting up a hell of a fight against Troy, who has dominated this women's division in the Sun Belt forever, and going to the WNIT. Uh, well, obviously, we know that didn't go very well. Zero and two in the NIT, but the interesting thing is, you know, I said 16 and 8, 13 and 1 of the conference. They walked into the Sunbelt Conference at 3 and 7. And they lost their first conference game, so they were 3 and 8 on New Year's Day. And then they win a program record 13 consecutive games to finish at 16 and 8. You know, what, what kind of confidence boost does that give, A, the girls returning from last season, and B, the coaching staff going into 2022? Well, first of all, I want to say congratulations to Coach Gary Broadhead in their conference title. Um, you know, look, first of all, and, and I know there's going to be some basketball, uh, men's basketball questions of why why is it not a big deal for the men? Why is it not a big deal for a conference championship for men's? I'm not taking anything away. But for, for women's basketball, we really don't have much of a history, unfortunately. And for Coach Broadhead to come in here and uh, in spite of his injuries and all of the adversities that he that, that his team had faced over the past few seasons, to come in here and not only start off three and seven, three and eight, but to go on that streak and and be able to pull it off, come with make it to the championship uh, final, uh, the Sunbelt Championship final, and and make the NIT. Um, that's a, that's something that this women's basketball program can be very proud of. It's something they can build on. I know they got a bunch of key girls that are coming back next year. And, and I think this is something that, uh, coach Broadhead can use on, on his recruiting trips. Right. Um, very, very impressive. And, and especially the, the, during that win streak, but some of the games they won were just dominant. Uh, and, and they just clicked, they were fun to watch and, um, to see them celebrate on the home court. Uh, winning a conference title was pretty cool to see. Uh, you know, it's not something you see often. I know it was a long time coming for Coach Broadhead, but um, they got the future looks bright. I think they can build on this. I think they can add to it. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do for 2021 and 2022. Agree with Jerry. And, you know, the point about not having really any history, any expectation almost. I mean, obviously, we want to win. Everybody wants to win, but. Outside of J. Kelly Hall, I mean, there isn't – there's no tradition, obviously. You know, expectations are what they are. 
a conference championship is monumental for the basketball program on the women's side. I, and honestly, Troy has been a good team for a long while. Um, Texas State was a good basketball team this year. You know, the, the conference is not great, but it's getting better. It's trending. And I thought that once they got on a roll, sometimes it's easy to get in your own head. And I thought that they performed um, their best ball down the stretch. And you could see it in the conference tournament. I mean, they, they were down multiple games. They scrapped back. They played that that press defense that they play, and it was exciting to watch. Um, NIT and the women's, I mean, look, that's, that's about as good as it gets here for – it's one of those things where if you're going to have an expectation to set, I think that's a great expectation for the women's basketball program. Now, look, obviously we can achieve better than that, but I'm saying like, if that's your floor, okay, you're doing something right. And, um, you know, Gary's had some tough, some tough years, you know, everybody knows about the off the court stuff and he's got the program in a very healthy position. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing to take away from this past season who knows? I think Jerry said there's a lot of young talent here. Um, I, I think the arrow is pointing up, like I mentioned. And this is not one of those conferences that, that you're going to have to trudge through every week. It's going to be a couple of top-heavy teams, or the league's going to be top-heavy with a couple of really good teams at the top. And then outside of that, you know, you just take care of business and, and, and continue to, to build a foundation of a winning program. So that's what I take away from this season. Great job by the staff. Great job by, 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 by Gary. And, and I think that maybe things are starting to, and, and God forbid I say this, but you know, his life has kind of stabilized a little bit this past year. I, I think maybe that has something to do with the results. Uh, I don't think I'm off base by saying that, but uh, a lot of young people coming back. Uh, I expect them to be maybe even a little bit better next year. Not, not and by to, the way, you got you got to commend them from the size. You know, one thing we've really struggled with recruiting uh, for women's basketball is size. You know, everybody with size goes to your Stanford's and your Yukon's and your Mississippi States and South Carolina. The, the the girls' team this is the best size we've had in a while. So, you know, you got to have that uh, to to be effective later in the postseason. So that is a that's a big thing, and I think that that's going to be a focus in their recruiting going forward. So. Hats off to him, man. They had a great season. Also, not to mention adding an SEC guard in Destiny Rice from Alabama. Uh, I think that'll be that'll be huge for Gary Broadhead. But of course, we'll we'll dive deeper into that as the season gets a little closer. You know, let, let's talk let's talk about another sport that that had a, a very promising year and something that they can build on for the future. And I'm talking about Lance Key and the soccer program, ten nine and one in 2020. Uh, four, three, and one in the Sun Belt J- compared to years past. Just a an, an outstanding season. You opened with a win over Abilene Christian, and then you go to Foley and you beat the eventual conference champions two to one in overtime. You get a couple. You get a big win over Tech. Uh, you know Little Rock, Central Arkansas, ULM. You get into the conference tournament and you demolish COVID Carolina, and then you know you get to the semis. And you play South Alabama, and again, like I said, eventual conference champion. They've won the conference. I think it's seven years in a row now. Um, and and so you know you lose that game four to one, but still, looking at the grand scheme, I think this was a season where Lance Key took this program and built yet another huge step forward in, in into what they can do for the future. And in the spring, you know, this past spring, back in February and March, you played. Alabama, Mississippi State, 
number 12, Texas A&M, Baylor, Nichols. And, I mean, obviously you went 4-1. and one, You didn't fare well. Your only win was against Nichols. But the talent level that you were able to play and the experience that these girls were able to get, I think, builds a lot for what's going to come later this summer. Uh, you know, go ahead, Josh. No, you're good. Go ahead. Um, I think when we hired Coach Lance Key, I, I mean, we knew his track record. Um, one of the winningest coaches, I believe, in D three, I believe it was, or D two. Um, and when you have track records like that, where you have success at other levels, you just have to bring that sort of mindset over to this program, and he did that. And you know, it's sort of like baby steps, right? Um, his first year, he was able to compete well enough. And uh, I think he won his first conference champion – or not conference champion, his first uh, conference tournament game. And then he did it again this past year. Um, and then on top of that, he finished this year with a winning season. And he beat some really quality teams that otherwise he wouldn't have beaten in the past. Uh, even in some of the losses against uh, some, of the, some of the larger schools in the SEC and whatnot, they were competitive. Uh, really didn't have that in the past. So I think, you know, one thing about the women's soccer program is that, like Josh had mentioned about women's basketball, they're slowly creeping on the way up. And, and I think it's going to be it's going to be baby steps. And, of course, like volleyball with Texas State, you know, South Alabama, they are, they are on top of the mountain right now. But I think this team is slowly easing their way to where they can eventually, uh, eventually sneak up on them. Uh, he got a, he, you know, and one other thing that sticks out to me with Lance Key is he's he's been able to pull foreign recruits. I believe he has two girls from England coming to play. I mean, are you kidding me? England? Uh, that's amazing. Um, and so when you get talent from overseas, especially Europe, to come play for you, uh, that's that sure that that's that reeks of promise and that reeks of excitement. When I heard that, got a girl from England, like that's yeah, that that's awesome. Um, so he's, he's going, he's going worldwide and getting some really good athletes from some pretty solid soccer countries. So, I mean, from here on out, I don't see why this team should fail. I I think that this team is on the up and up and, uh, I look forward to seeing what they can do in the fall because I think they will be competitive in this conference. I think they will be a top three team and, uh, who knows, maybe they'll uh, get to that point where they can, they can, uh, knock South Alabama off the top and, and win themselves a conference championship, first one in school history, but we'll see. Well, for my money, and, and I've watched a lot of soccer since Lance Key's been here. Uh, we're the best. We're the second best team in the league. Um, South Alabama, they're as much of a powerhouse as you're going to get in a league like this. Um, Lance Key is a process guy. I respect the way he builds the team. I think he coaches winning soccer. I think that you know we talk a lot about on this podcast about uh, relationships. Coaches having relationships. Lance Key has them. Jerry just mentioned the the foreign recruits. Uh, There's going to be more to come. He knows and is respected by some important people in the collegiate soccer world. And I think that's the most exciting. And here's the thing. All of our best players are sophomores and younger. Now, look, you've got, you know, you got Lizzie Mayfield, who is a junior. She's going to be a senior this year. But outside of Lizzie, um, there aren't many that are upperclassmen. We're still a work in progress and we're the second best team in this league. Uh, that is very exciting. Um, I think that there's a lot to come from the, the Cajun soccer program. I think it might end up being a pretty exciting product. If you go to the games this past year, when COVID and everything was ravaging the country, they were still getting five and 600 people in the stands. I mean, that's incredible. That's incredible. 
So, um, yeah, last year was another actually historic season. It was one of the better seasons we've ever had, which people don't really understand. That you know, the guy's been here what two years, three years, maybe. Yeah, so we're we're going into year three, and he's already starting to rewrite the record books. And the talent that we have coming in are better than the the ladies that are that are going out. Uh, that's a hell of a scary thing, you know. If you're if you're Sun Belt soccer uh, opposition, so. I'm very excited about Alyssa Abbott, very excited about uh, Abby Nowak, very excited about uh, how this team plays the game. I think that they play winning collegiate soccer. So going forward, very excited. Uh, My family and I have made it kind of a thing where, you know, we look forward to it. We go to the games. Uh, My daughter is going to be five uh, next week, actually. So she's all the way into it, and she drags me to the park, and I couldn't be happier to take her because it's a lot of fun. Yeah, you know, no, no question about it. I'm looking forward to to a great season. Um, I definitely plan to to make more games this year. Um, you know, lastly, before before we go to another commercial break, we we need to talk about baseball. And you know, this was this was year full year number one of of Matt Deggs. and you know, it started off interesting. You know, you, you go to Tulane. You take two out of three there. You beat Tech. You get shellacked by LSU. And then after that LSU game, you go on a four-game winning streak. You have a tough game against McNeese. You play a sloppy Houston Baptist team and win two out of three in that one. Then you go on a four-game skid. You get a win over TCU. You take three out of four from Coastal. Sweep ULM. You know, that was kind of the point where you sweep ULM, you beat Nichols, you take two out of three against Arkansas State. That kind of seemed the point where you looked at everybody and said, hmm, we might have something here. And then April 11th, that Sunday game against Arkansas State, is when it all kind of went to hell. You lose to Arkansas State, you get swept by South Al, which, granted, South Al ended up forcing a game seven in a, in a Florida Gators regional that didn't even involve the Florida Gators after the fact, uh, which is which is incredible for for, for South Alabama and and from a conference perception standpoint. But you know my my point in bringing up all of this is the fact that as a as a school that is very rich in, in baseball in baseball history. You look at thirty-two and twenty-three, and to to any average any average fan, they're like, "Oh, well, you know, thirty-two and twenty-three here in the Sun Belt, that's not bad." But we sit here, and you look at the roster that we had, you look at the coaching staff that we have, you look at the you just look at the grand scheme, and you kind of go, "Well, why didn't we win 40? Hell, why didn't even why didn't we win forty five? So so I guess I guess what my question is. I mean, yeah, you know, you made it to the semifinals. You you went to extra innings with Georgia Southern. You know, all that's fine and dandy. And again, first full season for Matt Deggs. So we we need to keep that in in the back of our minds. But my my question is. At what point, as a Cajuns fan, should we start to worry? So, 
before the season started, my, my, I really didn't know what to expect coming in. Uh, I knew we had pretty much a, almost a brand new team when you really think about it outside of maybe two or three guys. And I said before the season, I said, look, I just want a winning season. You know, uh, 2019, we go, well, 20, we'll go back to 2018. 2018, finish, I think, 34 and 25, uh, get run ruled at home where we're hosting the tournament against Texas State. 2019, we go in. Our pitching staff just gets obliterated with injuries, and our hitting just didn't have enough to really carry them. Uh, finished the season 28 and 31, first losing season since 2012. All right. And of course, the untimely tragic passing of Coach Robe. And then 2020, uh, even though we finished eight and nine, we had won, I believe, six out of seven games before the season was canceled. So we really didn't know what to expect last year. So going into this year, I said, you know, at this point, I just want to be above 500. I want to compete, and I want to be able to at least be in the top upper echelon of the conference. And we did that. We did that. We we finished 32 and 23. We won the Western Division, which was pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. I'll admit that. Congratulations to the staff on doing that. And we made it to the semifinal of the conference tournament to the point where we really should have won that semifinal game to get us to the final. So we got, we, we, we got close. Um, and so the positives I see are the fact that we did accomplish what I was looking for this year. The concerning part that I had this past season was how we sort of took that downward trajectory after that April 11th game that you mentioned, Matt. At that point, we were 20 and 11. Uh, baseball America, D1 Baseball, all of the, uh, of the main college baseball media people had us as uh, like a three seed in the Starkville Regional, the Oxford Regional. Some people had us going to the Ruston Regional. And we were getting enough respect to where we were being picked as either the Sun Belt rep or an at-large uh, because of the 2011 start. And our, and our RPI was in the 30s at that point, I believe. And then all of a sudden, you get swept at South Al. You lose two out of three to Little Rock. You lose that midweek game to Monroe, which I'm still upset about. Um, you lose two out of three to a, a really bad Texas State team. And that's where the, the wheels start to come off. And it's they come off at a time when, if you look on paper against those teams, it was the complete opposite of what I expected because as time went on, we had, we had taken care of business against Coastal. We swept Rice. We took two out of three against Tulane. You know, we beat some really good quality teams, got a win against TCU. So I'm thinking, okay, we've, we've gotten the hard part of the schedule now out of the way. Now we're getting in the conference, and yet we lost conference series to some, I would say, inferior teams. And so that's where my concern came in because when that happened, uh, you couldn't get momentum back. And then all of a sudden before the regular season ended, we won seven out of nine games, I believe it was, up until the conference tournament. So – it was kind of a roller coaster ride after April 11th, and there were a lot of inconsistencies. There were a lot of um, just question mark games where you're like, "What in the hell happened?" You know that game against Texas State where Spencer Arigetti gave up eight straight hits or eight eight runs, ten hits, and the game against uh, Little Rock where we had to fight our way back, and then Borgie just couldn't. You know there was a bad field at third base, and we lost on an error. Just bad luck. And I know people say that's baseball. I understand that's baseball. But to get that type of bad luck all at one time simultaneously was very concerning. Um, so I, I think there was good and bad. I think there was a very much uh, we and, I, and Matt, you're going to get mad at me for saying this. I, it was very much a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde season. It was. 
I know you were la- I know you're laughing, but it's the truth. I mean, again, you start the season 20 and 11, you, you lose like nine out of 12 or something like that. Then you start to get hot towards the end. You win that series against Troy. And then you get the opportunity to make it to the final. And then you, you lose that heartbreaking loss to end your season against Georgia seven. I, I thought it was an up and down season. Um, but the question is now with the transfer portal and, there's certain players that are probably leaving and things like that. What do we do next year? How do we build that next year? Well, I, I, I found out doing some research, we do have some talent coming in. Apparently we recruited the top three junior college uh, recruiting class. Um, you know, I think, I think we do have some decent guys coming back, but the question is, we're, we're, are we going to have to build from scratch again? Like we did last season. If we have to build from scratch again, like we did last season, I just don't see us right now unless they really start to gel and stay consistent because we saw it this year. You start off 20 and 11. We just couldn't stay consistent. If we can build a team good enough to stay consistent next year, I think we do have a shot to make a run, but that's yet to be seen. It's like basketball. You know, we got the talent on paper, but you got to show us. And so, um, you know, I think, I think this year showed a little bit of promise at times, but at the same time, we're not quite over that hump yet. We haven't really gotten quite near the top of that mountain yet. And so hopefully uh, this, this, this program, this team, the coaching staff, they have a good offseason. They have a good fall ball to where some of these guys can click. And they come next February, they're ready to hit the, grind, hit the ground running and, and start the grind to where they can make a run at a conference championship next year. I think this is a good starting point, but now you have to continue it. I tell my friends uh, with the coaching staff, look, it's, I know a lot of people are, were, were kind of disappointed, but you're, to answer your question, Matt, about uh, what the expectations are, you know, this is Matt Deggs' first full season. He won the West. He went 32-23. and 23. Uh, Now I look at it from a three- or four-year plan. You know, where do we see ourselves in year three or four? Now, that doesn't mean next year we just slack off and just, oh, well, we're still part of the process. I expect us to get better and better and better each year. So we'll find out what happens. But overall this year, it was a topsy-turvy season. Uh, I thought for the most part it was good. But we'll see what happens next year. I want to preface this with these are my own thoughts. This in no way reflects the what's the disclaimer? I always forget what it is. This in no way reflects the thoughts and views of Rage Review Enterprises LLC. Yeah, exactly. Thoughts are my own, all that stuff. I, I think that this was a complete and total mismanagement of a baseball team for 60 games. I think that we are in trouble. I think that we have made a very uncomfortable situation, 10 times more uncomfortable because the community loves a coach because he represents past success. And I think that um, that's not exactly how it goes in the locker room. I think that we have recruiting problems. I think that we will never have the pitching staff that we had this year under Deggs or Ryan again, I think that we should have won 40 to 42 games. I think that we, well, I won't say that. I I think that, well, first of all, I know for a fact that we're starting over again next year, basically from scratch. We're losing like 20 some odd guys. Uh, We're going to have like 12 dudes on the roster when it comes to fall ball. Um, Yeah. Even the Degs guys are transferring out. What does that tell you? So I I told y'all, months ago that we had a huge problem and um, I I think that problem persists 
I have very little faith that we will see an uptick in success anytime soon. Um, I think you could take a million anecdotal stories from this particular season to back up that hypothesis. Um, but no, I don't, I don't, I think we're in trouble. I think that we have some, I think we have some mediocre days ahead is what I'll say. I don't think it's going to be like pure and total despair like basketball was under Robert Lee or, or, or uh, toothpick there. But I think that media mediocrity is going to be our home for a while. And I think that that's going to be, um, it's going to be bolstered by a fan base that loves a guy with ex players that still live in the community that support him no matter what he does. Uh, but, uh, and look, I, look, I got love for those guys. I, I don't want to disrespect in any way. I love them. I, I, I'm so excited for what they did for the program. I appreciate it very much. They gave me some of my most favorite memories that I can even conjure up as, as, a, as a teenager, as a, uh, as a man early, late in, late in my 20s, whatever. I, I, no disrespect to those folks, but you're biased, man. You, you guys are biased. And I, I know you think the players are soft and I've heard it all. I've gotten the DMS and I've gotten the tweets and I've gotten the text messages. I I know exactly what you think, but you're not right. It's wrong. This coaching staff completely shit the bed in multiple situations throughout this season. Um, You know, I thought that the way that the season ended was so perfect for all the things that I've said on this podcast, where if you go back and watch the video Bobby Lede is not watching the play at first base, and he's, I wouldn't say really busting his ass around third, but Dex is just standing there watching the play at first base. He never gave him a go sign. He never gave him a stop sign. He just looked at the play at first base. And Bobby loafed his ass around, turned around, looked at Dex. Dex still never gave him a sign, and we didn't score. And even though we didn't even deserve to be in that game because Georgia Southern was just so much better than us, that really was like the exclamation point on the type of season that we just watched. Yeah, we won the West. It's the worst. It's the worst Sunbelt West I've seen in my lifetime, or at least in my adult lifetime. We won it. We sure did. That's that's fine. If you guys want to ho- holler and scream and hoot and holler about winning the West in twenty twenty one, look. Th- then y'all forgot where we were just a few years ago. And I'm not going to apologize for that uh, that opinion. I, I just won't. We wasted a very good pitching staff. We wasted very, very good talent up and down that roster. And, and it's just a fact. And you guys can get mad at me like you did throughout the season. I really don't give a shit. I mean, I'm going to say what needs to be said. I'm going to say what I see. This is a fan podcast. You can get all pissed off about it. I, I don't care. I'm not going to kiss ass. I'm just not. If, if this is what you guys are here for, you're listening to the wrong wrong podcast. I'm going to say what I see. And that's what I saw. I saw mismanagement. I saw wastefulness. I saw selfishness. I saw guys that don't trust their coach. And you're going to see. Just go check the portal out tonight and see all those names. They're going to yep. back up what I said. Yeah, you know, you know, Josh, I, I, I didn't know if we were going to mention it. Obviously, we're not going to name drop. Or, or anything, but if you haven't checked out the NCAA transfer portal for baseball, there's a there's a hefty list of, of, of Cajuns 
on that list. Um, some are some are seniors. Some have exhausted their eligibility, but some haven't. And yeah, they're going to be names. And, and the ones and the ones and the ones that haven't are, are very surprising and very concerning. Yeah, they're going to be names that were in the Degs crowd. Those guys are transferring out. They're going to be names that you saw on the stat sheet often. They're transferring out. They're going to be guys that I'm not going to say any names, but I, I just have to say this. There are going to be guys, and it's multiple, it's not just one, that were told things in their exit interviews that were called back and told something else. And that's wrong. And I'm, I'm going to say this also. When Degs got here, he basically showed up and kicked a lot of guys out of the locker room with not so much as a thank you. Pissed off a lot of people in Acadiana because we're used to a certain way of doing things around here. And and I'll even admit that I was one of the people who brushed it off as, you know, new regime, new coach, new way of doing things. But we're starting to see, as time moves on here, it's a little bit more than just a new way of doing things. Um, I, I don't know if this coach really puts a premium on building trust and nurturing relationships. And maybe I'm wrong on that. But I'm just saying everything that he's put down on his resume as the Louisiana Raging Cajuns head baseball coach shows and points to me that he's really not interested in the the tertiary stuff. He just wants to play gorilla ball and win baseball games. Might be wrong. I'm just telling you what I see. You know, I I, I hate I hate to I I don't like to bash you know, programs because I'm a diehard Cajuns fan. And it's just what I do. I don't like to do it. However, buckle up, boys and girls. We're on our way to the island of irrelevancy. I just don't like the culture that's being created in the locker room, man. And, and look, I, I agree. I 100% uh, agree. It, you guys know, and it is, obviously, it is absolutely, it is absolutely terrifying. I, obviously, what I, what we I'm can't. Hearing say the things that we know and how we know them and, and all that stuff. And, and we're just, we're, we're, we're respecting people's privacy, but we have the, the, I've, um, we, have, we have heard it from the horse's mouth. People. We, we, we know the things I'm not just out here, just running my fucking mouth. Like we know what we're talking about and I'm not going to put anybody in a bad spot. So I'm absolutely not going to just, just, you know, regurgitate all the details. But I said this months ago, we have a problem at the top. Now, I, I think that there might be a coaching staff shakeup. Uh, be on the lookout for that. And that's all I'll say about that. But I think uh, there's going to be a change here soon. All I not, know. Not the head guy, obviously, but somebody below. All I know is this. I think right now, um, Moving forward, I think next year we're going to find out in the fall, based like I said, based on the recruiting class we have coming in. Um, again, top three JUCO recruiting class, junior college recruiting class. We have talent coming in. Uh, the question is, will they be able to fit in the certain places that are, – are they going to be able to come in and replace some of these guys that are leaving, whether they're going in the portal, whether they're graduating? That's yet to be seen. All I know is this um, – you know, we have expectations here. And I think in spite of everything that was said just now, I think the coaching staff knows that. 
But now it's time to produce. I mean, that's what that's that's the that's the name you know, of the game. It's you know, it, it, I mean, it's it's crazy. You know, I, Jerry, I know you're a believer in the three year plan as am, as am I. When, when it finally when it gets out to the public, and and not obviously the the transfer portal's public knowledge, but there's a lot of people that don't know how to find the transfer transfer portal, where to get that information, all that stuff. When this becomes 100% public knowledge, you will never see a shorter leash on a coaching staff than you're about to experience. I disagree, and I'll tell you why. It's what I I said when we started talking baseball. The community loves this guy. They're going to give him five years. I I don't think I'm wrong on that. Brian's definitely not going to fire him. The community will fire him just like the community hired him. And look, we're, we're, it's too early to be talking about that. I'm not trying to get Dex fired. I don't want him fired. I want him to fix the steak at my restaurant so I can continue to go to the goddamn restaurant. That is what I'm saying. No, I mean, I don't, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want the guy, I don't want the guy fired either. I don't want anybody to be fired. I'm just, no, that's I'm not, just, no, no, no. Let's, let's get one thing straight. Let's get, we got to get that out of the vocabulary because we're not even at, not even yeah, near no, that yet. But, but, but. but he look, Matt Diggs understands the expectations here. He has said it. He know look, he he apologized to the fan base, uh, or, or he has said things on the radio about this isn't rage occasion baseball. He knows what's expected of him. He knows what's expected of the program. The fact of the matter is this: it's time to produce. You know, I mean, and and not I mean, not just like this past year, but being inconsistent, going on, you know, not losing nine out of twelve games in your conference and whatnot. It's time to produce. And 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 I think the thing is, you know, look, one thing Tony Robichaud did it for this program, and I'll even give credit to Bull- Bullinger, you know. Uh, they've set the bar so high at this program that we have expectations to go to a regional every other year, and we haven't been to one since 2016. So yep. now, it's to, now it's time to produce. Get us into a regional, you know, and it's not entitlement. That's not, oh, well, you're just asking for too much. No, I mean, that's that's – that's the no, bar that's, of our that, program. That's the expectations that our history is. That's the bar of our program. Yeah. And I mean, and I think, and look, I, I believe Matt Deggs can get us there. I have no doubt about that. But now it's time to, you know, it, it, I mean, now it, it's, time it, to it's put up or shut up. Yeah. I mean, no it, 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 it's plain, it's plain and simple. You either win or well, no, I'll, I'll take it back. I'll, I'll, I'll use it. I'll use a different saying. And, and it's one that I use very often. I, I found myself using it even more often recently. It's shit or get off the pot. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's either you, you you win some baseball games, or you know we'll we'll do the we'll do the latter. And and I'm I'm one of the I'm one of the optimistic guys in here. I think we will. I think we have a shot. But you know, I hope I'm I hope two or three years from now I'm not going. Man, what the hell's going on? You know, I I mean I'm 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 optimistic, but I just you know I mean we just have we have expectations I'm not saying it's impossible maybe he goes out and finds a Dex Kerstad and a Jace Conrad and guys like that maybe it happens and maybe they fit back into his scheme the way it's supposed to happen and he wins it can happen I'm not saying it's impossible I'm saying the way that we're doing things right now it's troubling oh yeah and it, 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 Absolutely. it bothers me because when these recruits come in here and they hear from other recruits I would just wait until people find out who's transferring. Cause some of them are not in the portal. Yep. Like, you know, a guy that came out of the bullpen and played a little first base for you. He's not in the bullpen. He's not in the portal, but he ain't coming back. 
Well, yeah. I mean, no, no there, there's no, there's no sugarcoating it. Everybody knows who, who that guy is. But uh, you know, we we've been we've been at this for for an hour and fifteen minutes now. We're gonna go ahead and take one more break. When we come back, we're gonna do softball and volleyball as we wrap up the 2020-2021 Raging Review Year in Review. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Award Master, located at 3219 Johnston Street, is the only award shop licensed by Louisiana Athletics. In business in Lafayette for over 45 years, Award Master creates one-of-a-kind trophies, medals, and awards using a wide variety of materials, including resin, glass, wood, acrylic, and more. Owners Adam and Sarah Lopez are proud UL alumni, as well as Cajun Cooking Club members. Adam and Sarah can also help with your business promotional items. Rage and Review trusts Award Masters for all of their needs, and you will too. Award Masters is so much more than just an award shop. Give Award Masters a call today, 337-984-1414, or go to awardmaster.com. Award Master, the recognition and personalization experts. Welcome back to Rage and Review. Matt Miguez, Jerry Abair. You know, Jerry, now it's time we get into the some some more spring sports and really focusing on the women's side of things. Uh, you know, and we'll start with softball. You know, it, it's it's no question that the softball program has lofty expectations year in and year out to win the conference, make a regional, possibly even make a super regional. Oklahoma City is always the goal for this program. And, you know, 47-12 and 12 this year, uh, got some big wins over some some big some big names. Um, you know, if, if you go down the list, Oklahoma State, they were number eight at the time when Louisiana beat them. You got a sweep of Memphis. You went and split with Texas. You dominated the conference, absolutely dominated the conference, beat Houston, you beat Tech, you lose both games you play to Alabama, but you're you're competitive as hell in both of them. And then you you kind of sweep your way through the conference tournament, and then you get into a Baton Rouge Regional, and you just run into a really good LSU team. And, you know, you, you played George Washington, which took a lot out of you. 
the next day you wake up and you, you you don't really show up very well against LSU. You get McNeese in the first round of the loser's bracket, and then you make it to regional Sunday. You have to beat LSU twice at home, number 16 team in the country. That's not an easy task to do. You get one win, and then you just can't quite finish off the second one. Um, so, you know, it, it's just one of those things where injuries started to pile up on you throughout the year. But, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on softball, and um, where do you think they can go in 2022? Well, first of all, I want to congratulate Coach Glasgow and the girls on a great season. Um, I, I thought they were resilient. Um, at one point in the year, they had lost both Taylor Roman and Raina O'Neill, two debatably two of the best hitters in the lineup. And at some point in the year, they were actually, um, I think they were 10 and four, I believe it was, with a eight to one loss to Baylor at home. Uh, just everything just didn't seem to go quite as well. Uh, I, I guess it was to the point where there was some crisis going on just because you, you, the, the lineup and the team was their world was kind of turned upside down. And all of a sudden um, from there, they lose a game to UT Arlington on the road, even though they took the series, but it's a very uncommon loss and they go on this tear. They just start to click. They go on this tear. And, and before you know it, they're, they finish the season with a, a 21 and three conference record and another regular season championship. And yet they have still, I think they're, they're at 60, what are they currently that the streak continues are at 60 something straight series weekend series uh, where or conference weekend series that they still haven't lost yet. So um, I, I thought it was a resilient year because uh, after that Baylor game, I was, I, I mean, a lot of fans were skeptical of what's going to happen next. And then all of a sudden they just go on this tear um, in conference and they go on this tear against, you know, they go in that split against Texas and they take care of business against some pretty good competition. And look, the Sun Belt this year was actually really good. Um, you had four teams from the conference that made it to a regional, all of which were at large bids. Um, it wasn't just us, but it was the cage. I mean, of course, besides the Cajuns, it was Texas State, South Alabama, and Troy, all of which flirted with top 25 rankings some point in the season. So the fact that this team was able to get through that and play in a very, a pretty, you know, one of the more competitive uh, years that the Sun Belt has had in softball was very impressive. And uh, I just think when they got to Baton Rouge, uh, they just ran out of gas and ran into a really good LSU team. Uh, you know, there's no, and, and in spite of that, they still went to a game seven that they could have won. So um, all the way to the last out, they didn't quit. And, you know, I, I expect nothing, nothing less from any uh, Raging Cajun softball team. They've always been like this since the first day they've actually come around in the 1980s. They've always been resilient. And um, that, that, that tradition continues. And, and I look forward to next season. Um, you know, they lose a few key starters, but one thing's for sure, uh, Coach Glasgow has a lot of talent up down the pipeline uh, to the point where a lot of these, some of these girls that are leaving will be replaced. And I don't say that negatively, but they'll have a lot of talent that'll be able to pick up from where some of these girls who are leaving left off. Yeah, no no, no question about it. Um, you know, Summer Ellison, pitcher of the year once again in the Sun Belt. Sierra Bryan in her, in her one and only year in the Sun Belt. Newcomer of the year and conference player of the year. Just absolutely phenomenal. 
you know, I, I think this season would have been a different ball game if you have if you have Taylor Roman and Raina O'Neill in, in your in your everyday lineup. I think I think this was a team where if you plug in those two girls, you're going to Oklahoma City. Well, I mean, at least I think you you, you win the Baton Rouge Regional. Um, when you lose two of your starters, two of which are you know your your better hitters, um, I mean, the fact that they were able to adjust without them through conference uh, was impressive. And it's ironic when you know. Um, it's it's ironic when 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 in spite of all that, uh, you know, we go twenty one and three in conference, and that's actually considered like not not really a good record, right, for us playing in conference, and yet. We still took care of business and and cruised through the Sun Belt tournament. You know, won another regular season championship, won another conference uh, tournament championship, and you know, in spite of that, we were still able to to really pull through. Uh, we were still able to really pull through, um, uh, even in the regional. You know, it was tough, but again, if those two girls are on the on the line in the lineup, I think it makes a big difference. I think we win that regional, and I think we're in a super. You know, maybe pull a James Madison. We what James Madison, by the way, hats off oh, to James yeah. Madison for Abs- what they did. Absolutely. But if if but I, I the first thing I said the other day when they beat Oklahoma State, I told my parents who were watching the game together. I was I was in New Orleans. I said, you know, that's us right there. Like that if with a full healthy team, that's us. And I believe that. I still believe that. And I think next year I, I have optimism that we will have some younger talent, but it's gonna be talent. And I think we'll be okay. So the, the future looks bright. Uh, the future looks bright for, for Raging Cajun softball, as always. And the expectations are always going to be pretty high. Yeah, no, no no, question about it. You know, real quickly, we'll, we'll talk about volleyball, and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, you know, one, one thing one thing that 17-7 and seven last season, top 25 ranking for the first time in program history, Heather Mazetas Fontenot earns her retirement, and you know now you look forward to to Christy Gray, who was a proven winner in the in the JUCO ranks. You know, we'll see what she can bring to the table. You know, she's already she's already started the recruiting process. She's already fallen in love with this university. Obviously, we know it doesn't take long to do that, but she she's fallen in love with this university, with this program, and what this town can do from from a from a athletic standpoint. So uh, I, I think big things are to come for the volleyball program. Well, first of all, congratulations to Coach uh, Heather Mazetis Fontenot on a great career. Um, you know, just a just an awesome all around. Not only a coach, but a great person. Uh, she was uh, she really held this program to high standards, and what a way to go um, this year. I mean, I think at one point the team was nationally ranked. Uh, they were in the hunt for for a conference championship. They were very competitive, but uh, you know, with that said, Coach Christy Gray comes in. You know, she's a little bit younger. She's actually my age, ironically. Um, having hey, you know, that's, that's you have good head coaches. That's well, a good it's crazy thing. because it's a hard concept for me to still accept. I mean, we have college coaches that are my age now, um, which is insane. But you know, I think in spite of that, you know, she brings a lot of energy. She brings a little bit of youth and some good experience with energy, and that's something I think that can relate to players that she's going to recruit, that she's going to bring in, that she's going to coach, and I think that's going to benefit this program. I think she has a chance. She said it. She look. She. She's from Texas. You know, she came from Texas right down the road from San Marcos, where Texas State is the crown jewel of volleyball in the Sun Belt. So she she said in her opening press conference, her goal is to beat Texas State and, and get over that hump and 
be able to do better than them and take care of business and win a conference championship and bring one to Lafayette. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, I'm going to try to make a few games next year. And, uh, you know, she, she brings some really good energy. And, I mean, look, co- uh, Dr. Maggard has been spot on about coaching hires. So if he hired someone like Coach Christy Gray, she yeah. must have a pretty doggone good pedigree to no, – uh, uh, to, to bring her to Louisiana. No no question about it. Cajun Nation, that's going to do it for this episode of Region Review, the year in review. We are we are 86 days away from football, uh September 4th in Austin, Texas. Very excited about that. We have some we have some great surprises coming down the line for you guys in the next couple weeks. Uh stay tuned for that. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at regionreviewpod.com. Region Review on Twitter. And we will talk to you guys in the very near future. Until then, go Cajuns.